Thank you, Tim. So for those of you who don't know me, my name's Anne and I'm the vicar of this church and it's a great joy to be preaching this morning. I'm going to read from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's a very short passage this morning, uh, but that's because there's lots to say on this particular subject. So here we go. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 verses 25 to 28. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin married marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're in the Controversial Jesus series where we are looking at some of the teachings of Jesus that are controversial in the world today. Coming up in two weeks' time, we've invited a guest speaker to speak on sexuality. This morning, I have the joy of speaking on singleness and marriage. As followers of Jesus, what can we learn from Jesus' life and what the Bible says on this? And I'm speaking on singleness and marriage in the context of us aiming to be a distinctive community as part of our Christian witness to the world, which is a tricky topic, isn't it? Because relationships are complex and messy and emotive, and all of us here today will have had challenges in relationships. You may well be here today and the topic of relationships is particularly painful for you. Right at the start of what I'm going to say today, I want to emphasize just how much God loves you. He loves you with all of his love, all of the time. The one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. He loves you with all of his love. It's unchanging towards you. So there's no judgment for you here today. There's no condemnation for you. There is grace for you. And there is forgiveness and healing. And there is transformation for you. And there is hope for you because God loves you. His love is a transformative kind of love. And really, wherever we are at life, wherever, whatever our relationships look like, that is the key to see our relationships thrive and grow as we go first and foremost in the love that God has for us, so our vertical relationship with God. And that's the key to seeing our relationships with people around us on the horizontal plane transform, growing in the love of God. Knowing the love of God is the key to seeing all of our relationships flourish and thrive. So in thinking about singleness and marriage, we're focusing in on those two relationships because those are the two relationships that the Bible affirms and the Bible celebrates. The Bible affirms and celebrates singleness, 
There are people who are held up as examples in the Bible who are single. And by single, we're talking about people who are not married, who choose to have non-sexual relationships and cultivate friendships. That's a biblical definition of singleness. And the Bible celebrates marriage. It defines marriage as a lifelong union between one woman and one man. Of course, there are lots of relationships out there. But biblical marriage and biblical singleness are celebrated by God and given to us by God as a pattern and a plan for human thriving and flourishing. So with that as our introduction, let's have a look at Jesus and singleness. Jesus showed us how to live a fulfilled life as a single person when he lived on earth. I mean, that's an obvious statement, Jesus was single. But did you know that that was completely counter the culture of his day? Jesus was the firstborn son. He was expected to marry, have children, carry on the family line. And as a rabbi, as a teacher, he was also, there was an expectation on him to marry. The pressure from family, synagogue, and culture to marry was huge. Yet Jesus remained single. As a single person myself, that's really great for me to see that affirmed so clearly in Jesus' life. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Jesus lived a fulfilled life without engaging in the act of sex. I don't think that the culture of our day would get that at all. What did his life as a single look like? He was devoted to God, spending time listening to his father in heaven, doing only what his father told him. He had a wide group of friends, over 72, with some deep personal relationships. He was part of Peter's family home at Capernaum. He was part of the Bethany household of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus near Jerusalem. And of course, he had that community of 12 disciples with three very close to him. Jesus had married and single people among his supporters and disciples. He was not at all isolated. He clearly loved his friends. And within all of that, he proclaimed and acted in the kingdom of God, showing love and compassion to crowds of people. He was known for welcoming everyone. It was one of the, the Pharisees' most common complaints about him was that he ate with tax collectors and sinners and he mixed with the outcasts of society. We'll pick up on that in our talk on radical welcome at the end of this series. I simply want to say at this point that everyone is welcome at this church. What about Jesus and marriage? Well, his life was lived as a life of singleness. His words affirmed, his words and actions also fully endorsed and affirmed marriage. Gospel of John records that his very first miracle was at a wedding at Cana, that famous one where he turned the water into wine. And Jesus upheld the marriage covenant when challenged by the Pharisees. He quoted the pre-fall pattern for married life in Matthew uh, verse 19, verses 5 and 6, where he describes a man leaving his mother and father and joining with his wife. 
And Jesus took faithfulness within marriage further than the culture of his day with the statement, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus taught that at the resurrection, people will neither marry or be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. This last point references the future described in Revelation 21. The Bible begins with a marriage and ends with a marriage. Marriage is one of the powerful descriptions of our relationship with God. Dane Ortland comments in his book, Gentle and Lowly, this marital rapture between Christ and his bride is begun in relatively small measure, so far as our experience goes, in this life. But the final joining of Christ with his bride takes place at the very end of the Bible as heaven comes down to earth, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So that's one of the reasons why the church upholds Christian marriage between a man and a woman. Marriage is a sign pointing to the future where Jesus as the bridegroom comes for his bride, the church. As it says in our marriage service, marriage is a gift of God in creation through which husband and wife may know the grace of God. It is given that as man and woman grow together in love and trust, they shall be united with one another in heart, body, and mind, as Christ is united with his bride, the church. This is a high view of marriage and singleness. And I think it's important for us to know what's intended and where we're headed. However, I imagine that most of you are panicking right now, thinking, my life as a single person is nowhere close to how Jesus lived. And others are thinking, well, our marriage isn't at all like the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's because we're on the fallen side of the creation story. The consequences of the fall are that sinful attitudes and actions have entered the lives of humanity and the effects of the fall are seen all around us. And I'm conscious of the pain for people within marriages or in their singleness for whatever reason that's come about. I'm also aware that we all carry shame from past actions and attitudes and for and that guilt goes on in our lives. We all fall short, every single one of us. But that statement from the book of Romans comes in the incredibly good news of Christ's redemptive, recreative work on the cross to bring us back into relationship with God. That's the grace of God at work in our lives. This is what Romans 3, 22 to 24 says. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes through Christ Jesus. So is it better to live as single or married? This is where that short passage I read comes in. It's Paul's advice for the church in 1 Corinthians 7. Now this church was a young, newly formed church living in a challenging cultural context. The city of Corinth was a seaport on a significant trading route 
And along with all the money-making opportunities, power struggles, it was infamous in its time for sexually immoral behavior. It's into this challenging context that communities of new believers formed in response to Paul's preaching and his mission there for a year and a half. People started to follow Christ and at baptism received a new identity and started on a new lifestyle. And at the very beginning of his letter, Paul reminds them of their identity as those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Then goes on to challenge them on the reports that their lifestyle was based more on the culture around them than on their new identity in Christ. In fact, in one report, uh, a man sleeping with his mother-in-law and that they were in the church, their behavior had even shocked the pagans around them. In chapter 6, he reminds them that they've been washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's who they are. Then he says, flee from sexual immorality. You are not on your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is good news as a Christian. Because as a Christian, you are not a sinner trying to be a saint. You are a saint learning how to live like a saint. A saint learning how to overcome sin. Living from that true identity as God's holy people. So that's why he gives that challenge. He's calling them into a new lifestyle. And after that challenge, Paul goes on to describe living as either married or single. And there is a cost to this. We believe that to believe in Jesus is to be a follower, is to take up our cross to enter new life. And the life he calls us to live, and that is the life he calls us to live. And that we see in scripture, that life includes being faithful in marriage between a man and a woman, and a calling to celibacy in singleness. St. Barnabas aligns with that scriptural understanding, as, I, as do I. Of course, I know that there are other Christians who have a different view. Indeed, the Church of England has made strides over these last few weeks to depart from this. But as an evangelical church who love the Bible, we are holding to this truth. And we need to pray for our bishops that the Lord convicts them of this. It is the job of the church to lay out the ways of Jesus and what scripture says. It's not the job of the church to force or coerce people to follow Jesus in areas of life where they're not ready to yet. And the reality is for all of us who follow Jesus that there are areas of our life where we're not there yet. We're part of a journey of change. It's not a journey we take on our own. We're part of community and being known in community. And we respect that people coming here are in different situations. In fact, more than respect, we aim to follow Jesus' way of loving acceptance and we welcome everyone. We're all on journeys in our life. Not one of us can say that we're perfect. We're called to make that journey as part of sustaining community. So back to the church in Corinth. Within that church, there was the licentiousness of sexual immorality, and there was also super spirituality. 
Paul challenges both of those extremes. At the end of chapter 6, flee sexual immorality, acts of sex outside marriage. At the start of chapter 7, he appears to be addressing super spiritual people who are married, who are saying, we've decided we're going to abstain from sex all the time because we think that is a pure way of living. And Paul, paraphrasing, says, don't be daft. Spend a bit of time making sure that you don't abstain all the time. Certainly abstain for a short amount of time to prayer, but apart from that, you have that opportunity within the marriage covenant. Enjoy that. Make the most of that. But he also, as we heard from our passage, is very real about marriage. He says it's tough. Those of you who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. And the married people that I know have very much uh, shared with me that as a single person, if I think that married life is some idyllic bliss all the time, well, married people around you, you've managed to tell me, no, that's not always the case, Anne. There are things that we have to work through. There are difficulties in life. There are difficulties in married life. And actually, we need the help of good friendships around us and community around us to work through those difficulties in marriage. And then Paul on the realities of singleness. He puts out this um, view of our concerns as single people are how to please the Lord and be devoted to the Lord. And then he says, I wish people were single like me. And that led to the early years of the church, the first 1,500 years of the church, having an emphasis on saying, actually, to be really following God, you need to be single. And then that changed at at the Reformation, where the emphasis went the other way, saying, if you're really following God, you need to be married. Paul says, if you do marry, you have not sinned. If you do marry, you have not sinned. The truth is that both of these states are valued. Both are important. And neither are easy. Both are difficult. And both states, married state and single state, in my view, need a gift of grace. I value how Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Leadership, describes these two states as vocations. Now, clearly, for all followers of Jesus, our primary vocation is to God. Our first call is to love him with our whole being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Pete puts it out there that our next vocations are to marriage or to singleness. Both statuses are weighty, meaningful vocations. Scripture teaches that human beings are created for intimacy and connection with God, themselves and one another. Marriage is one framework in which we work this out. Singleness is another. So marriage refers to a man and a woman who form a one flesh union through a covenantal vow to God, to one another, to the larger community, to permanently, freely faithfully and fruitfully love one another. That's quoting from Pete's book. 
So whilst, but with singleness, singleness might be voluntarily chosen or involuntarily imposed by life circumstances. It could be temporary or long-term. It could be a sudden event or a gradual unfolding. Within that, Pizzgazzero has identified two distinct callings for singleness, and I found this helpful. The first calling is for people who, like nuns and monks, are vowed celibate, celibates. They make lifelong vows to remain single, and they maintain lifelong sexual abstinence as a means of living out their commitment to Christ. And it's Jesus who first says that's possible in Matthew 19, 12. He says there is a gift for people to do this. And again, by saying that, he was counter the culture of his day to say that somebody could live in that way as a gift to God and that that would be advancing, for, and that was said for the sake of the kingdom. So that's lifelong celibacy. And then there are those people who are single who've not necessarily made a lifelong vow to remain single, but to choose, who choose to remain sexually abstinent for as long as they are single. Their commitment to celibacy is an expression of their commitment to Christ. And uh, that's the one that I'm engaged with. I have a, a commitment to abstinence from sex. That's what I understand the Bible says. That's what I see in Jesus' life. And that's what I want to try and live in that way. I won't say that has been easy. There's been times when I've had to flee from sexual immorality. I can think of a beach in Corfu once where I literally had to get up and run away. Too much information, it's too much early in the morning, isn't it? But there we are. And I think in fleeing sexual immorality, God has given me grace to do that. But he's also... But also the other thing that has gone on which pervades my life is the lies that go on. So one of the lies that goes on is your life would be better if you were, were married. That's a, life, that's a word that I can say to my, you know, that's a lie I can hear to myself. I actually had somebody say that to me this week. Your life would be better if you were married. Now, in the church, do we really believe that? As a single person, do I really believe that? Well, of course, it's a lie. It's very tempting to believe it. But it's not true. Being single is as valid as being married. And I love the fact that in our church, singles and married meet together in communities. They value each other. They look out for each other. And a question I have is, are our communities places where both single and married people can share both the joys and challenges of what's involved? I think they are places where we can do that. I'd love to see more of that. And yeah, I want to be part of that, being vulnerable and sharing the joys and challenges of being single. I love the way that I've experienced as a single person, married people, families, opening up their homes to me, inviting me to meals around the table. And that's a massive blessing. And I love it when I hear single people babysitting for people going on a marriage course, for example. I'm going to read this quote from 
emotionally healthy leadership. And it's a long quote, but I think it's a good one to affirm both married life and single life. And then I'm going to bring us to an end with three, um, three simple things. So the quote from Pete Scazzaro. Our whole life as a leader is to bear witness to God's love for the world. But we do so in different ways as marrieds or singles. Married couples bear witness to the depth of Christ's love. Their vows focus and limit them to loving one person exclusively, permanently and intimately. Singles witness to the breadth of Christ's love. Because they are not limited to a vow to one person, they have more freedom and time to express the love of Christ to a broad range of people. Both marrieds and singles point to and reveal Christ's love, but in different ways. Both need to learn from one another about these different aspects of Christ's love. So in conclusion, how do we live in the light of this? Well, firstly, with everyone we meet, it's extremely important to meet people where they are at, to give space to hear their story and offer with humility our story. We welcome everyone. We walk with people just as Jesus did. With ourselves as a church, we're called to be holy. So stepping out into that reality that as saints, we've got more to go, further to go, asking God to sanctify our lives and to make changes in our life as we go along. We're invited into community with God and with each other. So join in with our Barnabas communities as both single and married people. Let's share the challenges and joys together. We have, uh, we have marriage enrichment courses on either days or over weeks. So do, if you're contemplating marriage or you're in a marriage, do uh, engage with those. And at the moment, we're researching a course on singleness so that we can offer that to people who are single. And uh, the books that I've uh, been uh, reading in preparation for this, well, there's lots of books I've been reading over these last two years, but the ones I wanted to recommend this morning is Loveology by John Mark Comer. That's a great book about marriage. Single-Minded Ma- Single by Kate Wharton, a great book about singleness. And then this book, which has been recommended to me, and I've just got this week, so I'm going to jump into Timothy Keller with Kathy Keller on the meaning of marriage. And this covers marriage, singleness, and everything in between. So three great books. Do, do, res- do read those. Get hold of those resources. And the final thing to say in terms of how do we live in the light of this is to come to God, to devote ourselves to God, to receive his grace, his forgiveness, the covenant that he has made with us. We're about to gather around the communion table. Tim is going to lead us in communion. And as we come, know that Jesus absolutely has forgiven us and has established us in great and true relationship with God. He calls us saints because we are justified before him. We're so grateful to come in that place of grace to him now. Amen.